Amen. All right. So tonight we're going to be talking about identity. And if I had to give it a title, the title would be, who are you? Now, I know that we've talked about identity. I know Pastor Ralph has talked about identity. I know that Pastor Edwin and Pastor Sean have talked about, about identity before. Uh, but this is really something that I feel like we need to revisit. And here at Fellowship of Champions, you know that champions do not despise repetitive teaching. So I just ask you guys to hang in there with me tonight as we talk about identity. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about why identity is important as a believer. We're going to make the, make the connection that our identity is a function of our relationship with God. I will encourage moments of self-reflection. Don't worry. But I will encourage some moments of self-reflection so that you uh, can figure out what type of identity you have as a partner of Fellowship of Champions. And then I'm going to tell you which identity you should choose and why. All right. So why is our identity important? Because our identity is who we are. It refers to our sense of self and it also refers to our sense of who we are as part of a group. Our identity or how we see ourselves contributes to our thoughts, which then cascades into our personal reality. Okay. Our identity. So how we see ourselves determines how we think about things, how we think about things activates the thinking feeling cycle, which in turn affects a number of things. It affects how I perceive the world. It affects how we believe the world perceives us and what we're focusing on tonight. It affects how we see God and how we perceive God sees us. So that's why we're here. We have a whole guiding word that has truly anchored us. Uh, at Fellowship of Champions, we have received a number of prophetic words uh, that have been released to our partners. We have had a number of impartations. We have had a number of the striking of hands. And each week we're reminded through Bible study, through prayer, through praise and worship, through the online Sunday celebrations, we're reminded of all of the good promises that God has for us. Yet, there are some partners of our church who feel like all of those things are for some of the partners, but not for them. And that is simply because they're not secure in their identity. So that's important. Identity is important. Now, I want to share with you how to receive this teaching. Some of this may be, I don't want to say hard because it's not hard, but it's very thought provoking. And I'm going to talk about some different identities and all of that stuff. And when I talk about an identity, what I want you to do, we're going to, after each one of them, we're going to pause, we're going to breathe, and then we're going to ask Holy Spirit, is this me? Okay, that's how, that's going to be the best way for, for us to receive this teaching. So this is not coming from a place of criticism. It's not coming from a place of condemnation. It is coming from a place of love that is going to encourage us to do self-reflection along with a Holy Spirit so that we can identify 
who we really are. All right. Good. So we're only going to talk about four different identities. There are a number of them, but these are the four that the Lord gave to me. So this is what we're going to talk about. The first identity that we're going to discuss tonight is the fatherless identity. Ask yourself, do I act like I am a fatherless son? Well, what does that mean? Are you out here in these Christian streets acting like God is not your father? Are you, do you hold beliefs that you don't have a covering? Do you hold the belief that God is not a good, good father? Do you hold the belief that God is not a perfect father? What does identifying as a fatherless son look like? Have you, are you seeking a substitute or a stand in for your father? What do I mean? Are you looking for a substitute for what only God can do in your life? Let's talk about it. Have you adopted beliefs about who you are um, and reject what God has said about you? Do the things that other people say about you or say to you influence your thoughts so that you reject the written word? Have you substituted romantic relationships or even platonic relationships for the intimacy that you are seeking from God? Hmm. Do you engage in hyper religious activities? Do you try to be a part of every auxiliary, every organization that's in the community, everything the church does, and all of that to mask the fact that you do not believe that God is your father unless you're running yourself in the ground and unless you're performing? Have you created your own intimidating identity? What does that look like? It looks like I, I don't really see God as my father. I don't really know who I am. I don't really know how I fit into the kingdom. I don't really know how I fit into FOC. So I don't need these people. So I create this persona that I'm hyper independent. I just go to church so I don't get fined. I log on so I don't get fined, but I don't really need these people. I don't come to church to make friends. Yeah, that sounds like the fatherless son identity. Or do you simply just not believe God? Because this identity causes us not to believe God. When you have the fatherless son identity, you just don't believe God. You don't believe any of the words that he sends through our pastors. You don't believe the written word that you read it in the Bible and you're like, oh, that ain't what it meant. And that doesn't apply to me. You don't believe the guiding word. So when we are talking about great ease and we're talking about supernatural happenings, you're like, yeah, 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 that ain't got nothing to do with me. You don't believe all of the promises that are prayed when we have prayer twice a week. You log on, but you're like, mm, yeah, 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 what? You don't believe that it is for you. That 
is what it looks like to be a fatherless son. Now, I know that y'all are the good old saints and you're going to be like, everybody knows that God is their father. But the truth is, there are a lot of believers who do not. That's the truth. The truth is there are partners of Fellowship of Champions who don't really believe that God is their father. That's the truth. But here's also the truth. Even if you don't admit it, God knows. Even if you never speak it out of your mouth, God knows. So we're going to take this moment. We're going to stop, pause, and breathe. And you ask Holy Spirit, who leads us into all truth, who illuminates things for us, and ask Holy Spirit, is this me? Do I share some of these characteristics of a fatherless son? And I'm pausing to breathe. All right, you got your answer. All right, we're going to move on to the second identity, the rebellious identity. Now, if you were to ask most people if they're rebellious, they're going to say no. Because we see rebellion as something that is overt. We see rebellion as being something that is confrontational. We see rebellion as being something that is aggressive. All of that kind of stuff. But can I tell you that a lot of the saints operate in rebellion? Because rebellion is resistance. Rebellion is resistance. So do you oppose God's authority in your life? Like seriously, do your thoughts contradict God's authority? Real talk. Do you resist what God has said? Okay, now for those of y'all who are being self-righteous and you're like, eh, I don't do that. Here's another thing to consider. Sin is rebellion. Yeah. Because when we sin, we go against God's divine law. And I'm not talking about the sin, you know, how we have this list of sins that we see other people doing that we're so quick to call out because we don't do them. No, I'm talking about just going against God's divine law. Living anything other than a holy life, mm -hmm, that's sin. And sin is rebellion against God. Sin is resisting. God is going against God's divine law. So let me make this plain because this is one that we want to be like, that ain't me, that ain't me. Okay. When you get mad because our pastors are preaching and teaching under the unction of the Holy Ghost, and they have a direct word from the Lord on instructions on how you should live, but you get mad and offended, that's rebellion. Even if you don't say it, even if you don't say anything about them, even if you don't say anything to them, that's rebellion. When God sends someone to share the truth of maybe your faulty mindset, you know, um, or, or to correct or to rebuke and you get offended and argumentative and you won't listen, that's rebellion. 
when you try to become your own God and make things happen for yourself because you feel like God is not moving fast enough because you don't want to operate on God's timing, but you want to do what you want to do, how you want to do it and when you want to do it. Yeah, that's rebellion. When you try to justify nonsense in your life that you know directly contradicts what God has said, that's rebellion. When you try to alter scripture to accommodate your sin, mm -hmm, that's resisting and that's rebellion too. And I owe it to you to tell you that rebellion is never good and rebellion never, ever ends well. And that's not just me talking out the side of my neck. That's not me making veiled threats. That is Bible. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 says that when we rebel, God's hand is against us. Mm -hmm. And in the voice translation, it says his mighty hand of judgment will be raised against you. That's what the Bible says. And I don't know about you. I don't want God's hand to be raised against me. The only thing I want God's hand to do, I want his righteous right hand to uphold me. And I want his hand to hold back the enemy from my life. Like that's all. I don't want his hand to be against me. So here's a reflection question. What makes us believe that we have better judgment and solutions for our own lives than the one true living God who created us and who knows everything about us? Like, how, how do we get to the point where we want to resist the one true living God who created the whole world and everything in it? And we know that we know better. So stop and breathe and ask Holy Spirit, is this me? Have I ever had a rebellious identity or have I ever had any of these characteristics of someone that has a rebellious identity? All right, you got your answer. We're moving along. So we've talked about the fatherless identity. I don't believe that God is my father. We've talked about the rebellious identity. I do believe that God is my father, but I believe that I know best. So I'm going to resist everything that he tells me because I don't care nothing about him being my father because I'm going to do what I want to do. All right. We've talked about those two. Now we're going to talk about the orphan identity. And honestly, I believe that the orphan identity is the most problematic that we're going to that we're going to talk about tonight. Why? Because with the orphan identity, our internal thoughts are opposite of our external expression of our relationship with God. So we can see fatherlessness. We can see that. We can see rebellion, but sometimes we don't readily see the orphan identity because the saints will be out here in these Christian streets perpetrating a fraud. Mm -hmm. Outwardly. We say, God is my father. I receive everything that the Lord has for me. Mm -hmm. Outwardly, we say that. Outwardly, we use the church lingo. 
Outwardly, we say the right things, but on the inside where nobody can see, we really struggle to believe that God is our father. We struggle to believe that God loves us and we struggle to believe what God has said about us. Yeah. So what does the orphan identity looks like? Looks like a lot of things. It looks like always competing with others and needing to stand out. So I'm going to hide my limitations. So I'll take on something in the kingdom that I know I'm really not equipped to do, but I'm going to do that because I feel like if I do that, then you won't really know that inside. I don't believe that God loves me. We see strengths in others as competition. So if, if the church calls a fast and somebody says, yeah, I'm going to do seven days water only, then you got to do eight or 10 or 14. Because you see their strength in fasting as your competition. I need to one up them. What does the orphan identity look like? It looks like that I secretly take satisfaction satisfaction. In the weaknesses of others. So if there is someone in the body that falls or there is someone in the body that may be having a public struggle, I'm sitting over here in the cut satisfied. It looks like always needing and seeking attention and validation. Did I do that right? Did I do a good job? What do you think about? Yeah, that's what the orphan identity looks like. It looks like isolation. I withdraw. Because I don't really feel like I belong. So mm, I may or may not come to in-person service. If I come, I'm going to sit in the back and then I'm going to leave early and don't nobody talk to me. And then when someone reaches out to me to see how I'm doing, I'm just going to ignore them. Mm -hmm. That's what the orphan identity looks like. It looks like hyper-independence. And it's the same type of thing that you see with, with a fatherless, the fatherless son identity. I don't need these people at this church. In fact, I don't even like them. I just go because just whatever. That's an orphan identity. It looks like fear and insecurity. I'm not really sure of my place. I feel uncovered. I feel unprotected. So my natural instinct is to protect myself. So if I got to talk bad about you, I'm going to do that. If I have to be mean to you, I'm going to do that because I'm going to protect myself at any cost. It looks like a constant need for reassurance. No, you didn't do anything wrong. No, you're good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like. It looks like, and this is the one that is really problematic. It looks like not having confidence in your spiritual gifts. See this orphan identity this is why people won't serve. Mm -hmm. This is why people won't serve. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul was telling the church, listen, y'all are believers. You need to covet. You need to desire the spiritual gifts. As a believer, I desire and I covet the spiritual gifts. Why? Because the spiritual gifts are used for the greater good of the body. A spiritual gift is never about me. It's always for the benefit and the edification of the body. And we have people in Fellowship of Champions Church International who have amazing gifts, 
spiritual gifts, you have amazing natural gifts, you have amazing talents, and you sit on them because you have the orphan identity. And it's all by design. The enemy wants you to believe that you do not belong. The enemy wants you to believe that the gifts that you have are not important. The enemy wants you to believe that you are not fit to serve. Yeah, it's by design. The internal conflict, it's by design. The enemy is using you against yourself. I feel like we need to pause and breathe there. Okay. What does the what else does the orphan identity look like? It looks like having to prove yourself or feeling like you have to prove yourself. It looks like people pleasing. It looks like being suspicious. Um and I can't tell you that there are people who are like the people at church, church are really not that nice. That's cuz they have an orphan identity. You're like those people could not be that nice. These The people at FOC could not be that loving. We are. But the orphan identity won't allow you to see that. What else does it look like being super critical? That you hear if somebody is a half step off the note or somebody's offbeat, a girl, they said they didn't say that right. And they tried to say that scripture. Yeah, that's the orphan identity. That's, that's what it is. So I want to help you with this. In Ephesians 1 and 5, scripture tells us that God adopted us into his family through Jesus Christ. He wanted to do it. And it gave him great pleasure. You, you, you don't have to have an orphan identity. Like he wanted us. I know sometimes we hear the stories about people who be adopting the kids to have people clean their houses. Yeah, this is not that type of party in the kingdom. It was his great pleasure to adopt us into his family. We're not orphans. He adopted us as sons. Okay, let's stop and breathe again. So ask yourself, is this me? Have I ever exhibited any of those characteristics of an orphan? All right. Is everybody good? Is everybody good? Can y'all do a thumbs up if y'all good? <laughs> no, he chose us to be in his family. Like, he chose us. Somebody said they need a second. We're going to breathe again. Because <sighs> I don't think we're going to take the full hour tonight. All right. I'm seeing thumbs up. All right. So we have talked about fatherless. I don't believe God is my father. The fatherless identity. Fatherless son identity. We have talked about the rebellious identity. God is my father, but he can miss me without that because I'm going to do what I want to do. We've talked about the orphan identity on the outside. God is my father, but on the inside, I don't really believe it. They don't, they don't match. So I told you at the beginning that we were going to talk about the type of identity that you should have. Okay. That is, you should have the identity of a son. 
Now, we've had a number of Bible studies about this. We have had a whole lesson series on sonship. I invite you to go back and listen to those again and to go watch all those again, okay? But we should embrace the son identity. I see myself as God's favorite. I see myself as God's favorite. Now, the real religious people should be like, you shouldn't say that because God loves everybody the same. He does. He loves us all the same. And the beauty about serving a God who is omnipotent, who is omniscient, who is omnipresent, uh, his heart is big enough to love all of us at the maximum level. And he never runs out of love. I see myself as God's favorite. Yeah. And I want to reiterate that when we talk about being a son and our pastors explain this, that this is not about gender, but sonship is a position and sonship is a posture. Okay. So what do I mean? Jesus, who was God in human form, he was a son. And since our goal is to be like him, this is the identity that we need to have. Jesus was a son. Our pastors talked, um, I don't remember if it was this Sunday or the Sunday before, before no, I think it was last Sunday, when Jesus was going to the cross. We kind of gloss over all this because we always feel like, oh, Jesus, you know, he was a superhuman, he, he, he was God and, and he was man. And when he was crucified, he was man. He felt the nails going in his hands. He felt being pierced in his side. He felt it when they put the thorns on his head. He had emotions when them people were spitting on him. But because he was a son, he knew what his assignment was. And he was fully submitted in his sonship to do what he agreed to do. To do what God sent him to do. He felt all of it. But because he positioned himself as a son, he was fully submitted to the redemption plan that God had for mankind. So what does your look, life look like if you identify as a son? Number one, I realize that God freely receives me freely. So it's none of that orphan stuff. It's none of that fatherless stuff. It's none of that rebellious stuff. He freely receives me. In John chapter one, verses 12, the message translation says, whoever wanted him, who believed he was who he claimed to be and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. That scripture tells you what your identity should be. God freely receives us. He made us to be our true selves. And what is our true self? Our true self is our child of God self. 
So when I have the identity of a son, I understand that God freely receives me. What else does it look like to be, to have the identity of a son? Sons respond well to God's authority. I'm going to say that again. I didn't just say sons respond, but sons respond well to God's authority. Sons submit. And what does that mean? That a son places the interests of the father above their own. That's what a son does. When you are submitted to the father, you place your interest. And I can tell you that in the natural, a lot of us are willing to do that in the natural. But when it comes to God, we have that problem with submission. My parents are getting older. And if there are places that they need to go and things that they need to do because I'm submitted to them, it doesn't matter if it's an inconvenience for me. If that's what I need to do to get them to where they need to go as a son, I'm with, I respond well to their authority. I place their interests above my own. So if I can do it in my natural earthly relationships, it's so easy. It's so easy to place God's interests above my own. That's what sons do. A son, those who have the son identity, it's not a problem for us to get up at 6.30 a.m. on a Friday morning for prayer. Because we're placing God's interest above our own. It's not hard or grievous for us to say, okay, we're going to fast from a Tuesday night at 8 p.m. until after prayer well, 7 p.m. until after prayer because it's easy to place God's interest above our own. It's not grievous to uh, for us to bring our tithe or to, to give to the scholarship fund because we're placing God's interest above our own. So sons realize that God freely receives them. Sons respond well to God's authority. Sons also handle correction well. The litmus test for sonship, I believe, is in the area of correction. Not criticism, but correction. Because correction flows out of love. Correction flows out of care. Correction flows out of an effort being made to improve future behaviors. Criticism is more about judging and not helping. They're not the same. Correction is uncomfortable. Nobody likes to be corrected. But if we can work through the correction, if we can grow through the correction, if we can see our blind spots, if we can see our areas of opportunities, then we can progress further as a son. Correction is not a bad thing. 
Y'all write that in the comments. Correction is not a bad thing. It flows out of genuine care and concern. And a son handles correction well. For those of us who have children, we know how we expect our children to handle correction well. When you correct your children, you don't want them talking back crazy to you or slamming doors or storming off. Well, guess what? God doesn't want us to do that either. Correction is not a bad thing. We need to learn how to handle it well. Hebrews 12 and 6 tells us that the Lord corrects those he loves. The Lord corrects those that he loves. So if scripture says this, when he corrects me, he loves me. If I endured the correction as a son, God deals with me as a son. And I want him to deal with me as a son. You're not a son if God cannot correct you. I am a son in the natural to my parents. Yes, I'm female, but I'm a son to my parents. That's my posture. That's my position. I am a son to the leaders of Fellowship of Champions because I made a decision to become a covenant partner. I'm a son to them. I am a son of God because I was adopted into the family. Remember, it was his pleasure and it was his plan all along to adopt me into his family. I am a son. And in all three of those cases, when I am corrected, you know what I don't do? I don't argue. You know what I don't do? I don't talk crazy and get combative. You know what I don't do? I don't go and start a whisper campaign and how they trying to tell me this. I don't do that. When I am corrected, my response is yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I make sure that I understand what needs to be done differently and I pivot. That's the response of a son. Because I know that as a son, the correction is always from a place of love. Always. So, what are some other characteristics of the son identity? Sons see themselves as an heir. And the word heir means that we receive the allocated portion. So, in scripture, it tells us that we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Like, that's what it says, right? So, I have an allocated portion that God intends for me. Now, here is the good thing about being an heir of God. Because in the natural, if you're an heir, you got to wait for your benefactor to die. Okay? But when I am a son of God, I get my allocated portion when I assume the position of the son. When I make the decision that I want to have that Jesus Christ is my personal savior, I acknowledge that he died and he rose again from my sin. I'm adopted into the family. You get your allocated portion. Then we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to get the allocated portion. 
not as an heir of God, not as a son of God. So what can you expect as an heir of God? You can expect righteousness. We already got righteousness because uh, he sent Jesus down the cross for us. We had, listen, we had the allocated portion of righteousness before we were even born. Mm -hmm. You can expect justification. We had that before we were born too. You can expect unlimited resources and provisions. He owns it all. So everything he owns and everything he has. Yeah, I have an allocated portion of that. We can expect authority. Once again, Jesus already gave us that before we were even born. Also, as a son and as an heir, I can expect a guarantee of answered prayers. When I pray God's will and I pray in Jesus name. That is why, like literally, we, that's why we pray the way that we do at Fellowship of Champions, because we understand that because we are sons of God, that we are entitled to answered prayers. I know some people don't like that word entitled because they feel whatever feelings they have about it. We are entitled to answered prayers. In short, we can expect everything that God has. Like, I'm not making this up. This is Bible. Galatians chapter four, verse seven in the living Bible says that since we are his sons, y'all see the word? It says everything he has belongs to us for that is the way God planned. Since we are his sons, everything that he has belongs to us for that is the way that God planned. We don't get this by default. We don't get this because it was a loophole in a contract. We don't know. God planned it this way all along that for everyone who is my son, Everyone who assumes the identity of a son, everything I have, it belongs to them. Yeah. What else do we know? We know that sons rise to the occasion. And this, let me tell y'all something. When I was studying this, this light really just made Okay, it didn't make my head explode. That's an exaggeration. But I was just like, wow. Sons rise to the occasion. Why? Because they are empowered by the father. How do you think Jesus was able to do what he did? He didn't do that in his own might. He was empowered by the father. How are we able to do the things that we do that people are like, girl, I don't know how you could do that because we're empowered by the father. God empowers us. And so when the opportunity comes, we're able to rise to the occasion. Now, by empowered, I mean that we have the authority or the power to do something. So that is why. If you are ever at Fellowship of Champions and they're like, who in here is uh, having some pain in your body? Remember, we did that at one of the uh, huddles. 
the sons rose to the occasion because we understood our identity as sons and we understood that we had been empowered to heal. That is why if you come in fellowship of champions and you are demonically oppressed, we are not afraid to do deliverance because we have been empowered to cast out demons. We've been empowered and sons rise to the occasion. Now, notice I didn't say anything about the son had to be perfect to rise to the occasion. See, that's a lie that the enemy will tell you. I did not say that you had to have been a Christian for a certain amount of time to rise to the occasion. No, when you receive the empowerment from the father, you can rise to the occasion. So that means if you are on the parking lot of Walmart, just got your groceries and somebody comes up to you and they're telling you they got all this pain in their body and all this other stuff, you've been empowered to lay hands on them with their permission. If they're open and receptive to it. That means that if you're ever in a setting and everybody is wilding out and you're discerning all this demonic activity that is going on, a son can rise to the occasion and you are empowered uh, to, to, to make those demons sit somewhere and be quiet and stop being disorderly. We're empowered to do that. Listen, we can look at the disciples because the disciples were empowered. Now, it's a whole bunch of stuff they did that I just was not impressed by, just to be honest. They were immature because they was over here arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. That's immature. Uh, they were borderline trifling because Jesus is about to go to the cross and he has his inner circle. And he's like, can y'all just wait with me? Can you watch with me? And those jokers over there sleep. Mm -hmm. That's trifling. Sometimes they were not the best representatives, i.e. Peter with his language, cutting out people's ear and that type of stuff. Um, they were scary when Jesus uh, was crucified they were somewhere hiding sometimes they were clueless Jesus would be talking deep revelatory stuff to them and that he didn't get it sometimes they didn't really even understand who Jesus really was but you know what Jesus invested in them Jesus believed in them Jesus empowered them the same thing that God does for us and when the time came they rose to the occasion so if you are a partner of fellowship of champions and, and you assume the son identity you're empowered as a son you can rise to the occasion rise to the occasion how are you empowered you are empowered every Sunday morning Every Sunday morning, you're empowered. You're empowered every Monday during Strategies for Success. You're empowered every Wednesday night through prayer and refreshed Bible study. You're empowered every Tuesday at noon through Ed Talk. You're empowered every Friday morning 
uh, for Champion Circle. You're empowered every Sunday morning through praise and worship. You are empowered through covenant relationships. You're empowered through prophetic words and impartations. You are empowered. And as sons, it's time for us to rise to the occasion. So tonight, I just want to encourage, I want to implore, I want to beseech you, whatever word you want to use, assume the identity of a son. Because here at FOC, you don't have to be a fatherless son. Here at FOC, you don't have to be rebellious. Here at FOC, you don't have to have an orphan identity. Because no matter what happens, you've been empowered. And when you have been empowered, when the time comes, you are able to pull up and to extract every good thing that has been deposited into you. Every spiritual gift that has been deposited into you and every spiritual gift that you have developed so that God's will can be accomplished through your life. So I just want to encourage you to be a son. Be a son. So. We're going to do, we have, it's 849. Okay, we're, we'll probably be done before nine, but we're going to do a quick activity. And before we do that, I want everybody to breathe deep breaths. <sighs> Clear your mind. If there's any offense in your heart, that's just your flesh and, and tell your flesh to sit down somewhere and quit all that. Okay. So it's, it's good to get all this teaching. It's good. You know, it was a good lesson. I'm not just saying it because I taught it, but it was a good lesson. But what do we do with this? Because our goal at Fellowship of Champions, we don't just give you stuff just so you can have information overload. But we the, the teaching is done so that it changes your life. It transforms your life so that you can live and function as a champion. So this is what we're about to do. The first thing. I want you to be completely honest with yourself. Okay, so say self. I need you to be honest. Okay. And I want you to jot down or hold it in your mind. Where did you see yourself in this teaching? Do you see yourself as a fatherless Son who you don't believe God is your father. You just don't believe God, period. Do you see yourself with the rebellious identity that mm -hmm, God is my father, but forget what he's talking about? Do you see yourself as an orphan that you tell in the world you believe God is your father, but on the inside, you don't believe it to be so? Where do you see yourself? And this is not intent intended to be diagnostic of anything. You know, this is not the end all be all. But where do you see yourself? And maybe there's an identity that was not mentioned tonight. That Holy Spirit is saying, oh, that's where you land. Write that down. Where do you see yourself? Who are you? And breathe while you're doing it. Okay. The second thing, if you see yourself as anything other than a son, 
you need to confess your sin of having a faulty identity. Now, I know you'll be like, I'm at home. That ain't got nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you why you need to confess. Because the enemy thrives on secrecy. The enemy thrives on shame. The enemy thrives on deception. So he already mad about this little lesson anyway. Okay. Confess your sin. Because when you confess something, that's just like shining a light. It dismantles the strength of the enemy. And that's between you and God. So I'm not asking you like to put in the comments, I confess for being a father. Like, I'm not asking you to do that. If you do that, that's what you do. But that's not the ask. This is between you and God. And you confess for whatever faulty identity that you've had. Because the truth of the matter is, if you've had any identity other than a son, it was a faulty identity. And maybe you can't put a name to it. I confess for having a faulty identity. I confess for, for having the identity of a fatherless son. I confess. If in doubt, repent anyway. Now, yes. Because your confession is literally tonight going to dismantle the strength of the enemy. He can't use against you what you what you readily disclose. That's like somebody trying to tell a secret, but you not already told everybody. Like, what are you telling? What are you doing? All right. So you were honest with yourself. This is where I see myself. You have confessed. Now, repent and renounce. So this is a conversation that you're having with God. And you're telling God, you know what? I changed my mind about that identity that I was holding on to. God, I am turning away from that identity. And if you want to get specific, if there were specific things that I mentioned or specific things the Holy Spirit is, is, is impressing upon you, say that. God, I changed my mind about the orphan identity. Mm -hmm. I see now that I really am a son and I'm turning away from that identity. I no longer will not use my spiritual gifts. I no longer will sit on my gifts. I no longer will be hypercritical. I no longer will seek out validation. I no longer will look for the mistakes in everybody else and gloat when they do it. Yeah, that's what that looks like and sounds like. And when you renounce it, it's like, I'm not engaging in this and I don't want to have anything else to do with it. So I don't want to have anything else to do with the rebellious identity. I don't want to have anything else to do with an orphan identity. Inf get away from me, orphan identity. Go away. Kick rocks. Okay. So that's step number three. So you were completely honest with yourself. You saw where you landed. You confess your sin for having whatever faulty identity it was. You repented and you renounced. And now you need to forgive. Who are you forgiving? You're forgiving yourself. Because see, now the enemy's going to be like, how you let yourself get in that situation? Mm -mm, forgive yourself. I forgive myself for unrealistic expectations. I forgive myself for following my flesh and rejecting things of the spirit. I forgive myself for whatever Holy Spirit is telling you, you need to forgive yourself for. So you're going to forgive yourself. And then you also need to forgive people 
who have contributed to false identities. Now, I know some of y'all will say, well, that ain't really got nothing. No, no, you need to let them go too. Because remember, forgiveness is not for them. Forgiveness is for you. So don't hold that in your heart. So if you listen to somebody tell you, girl, you, you ain't got no business trying to be on nobody's prayer team. You don't hardly know how to talk. And you took that identity, forgive, they ain't know. They was letting the devil use them. Or they may have known. Either way, that ain't got nothing to do with you. Forgive them. Let them go. Now, I want y'all to listen to me when I say this next one. Some of you need to forgive God. Because some of us hold these beliefs that God let us down. Now, don't y'all be going back telling the pastor, she up here talking about God did something wrong. Mm -mm. God did not do anything wrong. The forgiveness is not for him. He's perfect. He ain't doing anything wrong. The forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness is for you to get that out of your heart so you can go on and step into your position as a son. Because if you're still holding offense in your heart towards God, you can't function as a son. And I can't tell you how many times as someone who does deliverance work, how many times I'm going through and there are people who are holding a lot of offense and stuff against God because the devil has deluded them and deceived them into believing something about God that is not true. God is perfect. He, he does not make mistakes. He does not do anything wrong. That forgiving him, that's for you to get that out of your own heart. All right. So after you forgive, now you are ready to assume your identity as a son. That's it. Just as easy as you picked up a faulty identity, you can discard it. So if you went through all of those steps, if you located yourself in this teaching, if you confessed your sins, if you repented and renounced, if you forgave, you're ready to assume your identity as a son. And you also just did self-deliverance. So we want to see the sons of God at Fellowship of Champions International. We want to see the sons win. We want to have so many sons that if someone with an orphan identity comes and joins, they can't stay that way because they see what it looks like to be a son. We want that when we're out in the community for people to be like, they are different. It's something about them. That's what we want. Assume your identity as a son. And that's all I got for tonight. And we are at 858. I was nervous about making it by nine. So that's all that we have. Uh, you guys stay connected. Um, stay connected. Oh, and let me tell you something. If tomorrow you hear this little voice saying, girl, you ain't no son. It's a lie and it's the devil. Tell him to stop talking to you. Assume your position as a son. You already made a son. You just have to step into the position. Okay. Thank you guys so much for joining us for a refreshed Bible study. Uh, 
The next time that we meet will be Friday morning at 6.30 a.m. for Champion Circle Prayer. We invite you all to join us and to invite someone to come with you. And then on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., um, meet us at Christian Valley Worships for praise and worship. And then immediately following that at 9.30 a.m., our online Sunday celebration with Pastor Edwin and Pastor Sean. Um, and then on Monday, Strategies for Success at noon, great way to spend your lunch. Then on Tuesday, Ed Talk at noon, Central, and remember all times are Central Standard Time. And then next, oh, the May Relationships 101 will be on Tuesday, May the 2nd. And remember that one, you have to uh, go to the Facebook page that is on the screen, Edwin and Sean Strickland, in order to watch that. And then next Wednesday, we'll be right back here for prayer at 7. Our teens will meet for Ignite at 7.15. You can always catch Victory Zone on demand. And, uh, and then refresh Bible study. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. Oh, I forgot. Sorry. Ways to give. Um, if this church, this ministry, whatever you want to call it, has been a blessing to you, it's good ground and you should sow into it. All the ways to give are listed there on the screen. If you are an international partner, you can use the PayPal version. Everybody else who is not international, then you can use any of the other multiple ways to give. All right. And that's it. Thank you, guys.